You're listening to a sermon from Redemption Church, Calgary North. We exist to see lost people saved, saved people matured, and mature people multiplied, all to the glory of God. For more information, visit redemptioncalgarynorth.com. Well, I want to start by, by giving this little historical fact here. On May 18th, 1980, about 80 kilometers northeast of Portland, Oregon, the deadliest and most economically destructive volcanic event in U.S. history occurred. That was the day that Mount St. Helens erupted. At the time, I was five months old, living just west of Portland. As you probably know, that was a massive event. It triggered avalanches, earthquakes, a 30-kilometer destruction zone with ash found all around the world. Fifty people died, hundreds of homes were destroyed, and there was just a wide area of infrastructure that needed to be rebuilt. Uh, but the, the eruption on that particular, that was just a single event. In fact, Mount St. Helens is still an active volcano. The lava and the magma still boil underneath the surface. It is still smoldering with explosive possibilities. I bring that up because anger is a lot like Mount St. Helens. It can be an explosive outrage that produces wreckage, or it can be the sort of under-the-surface smoldering that's hot, but, but not as volatile. Both are dangerous. And this morning, we're going to continue our summer series through the book of Proverbs, this time considering how self-control triumphs over anger. If you're relatively new to our church, I'm not the usual preaching pastor. I'm I'm one of the pastors over small groups and children's. Uh, Pastor Trevor has been taking a vacation, if you want to call it that. Uh, I'm refinishing his basement, uh, so he's um, away, and I'm in here to continue our series. Like I said, we're talking about anger and what the Proverbs has to teach us about it. As we start, I I want us just to clarify what we're talking about. For our purposes, I'll define anger this way. Anger is a sinful response to unmet expectations or desires. Anger is it's a sinful response to unmet expectations or desires. Now, notice that, that that definition is broad, and it's, and it's highlighting sinful anger. I understand that there's such a thing as righteous anger and that God gets anger, but, but this morning, for our purposes, we want to tackle sinful anger. And the definition is purposely broad because anger has many expressions. This sinful response takes many forms in my life and in your life. And it's often accompanied by sister sins. It can look like irritation or frustration or impatience or hostility. It can be fuming rage or just unspoken displeasure. It can be loud or it can be quiet. It can be private, directed at a few, or it can be public, directed at everyone. There can be a desire to retaliate, to seek revenge or inflict punishment. I mean, you know, that person is more like, I don't get angry, I get even. But it, it, it can take other forms too that, that's more manipulative or subtle. It can, it can be sarcasm or a biting comment or the look of death. Uh, maybe you know someone or maybe you are that someone who has just laser beams coming out of your eyes and you just, you just feel the anger. They don't even have to say anything. Anger might be aggressive or it might be passive. It might attack or it might withdraw. Sometimes the evidence for anger is fantasizing about another person's misery 
or about rehearsing scenarios in your mind that you wish were different. Grumbling and complaining can be a form of anger that mourns at an unmet expectation, while cynicism criticizes what you think should be different. Not to mention jealousy, which is a close cousin of anger. It thinks I deserve more and is unhappy with having less. And get this, even indifference or apathy can be tainted with anger when it's a sort of cold, self-righteous judgment that delights in saying nothing. Listen, anger is real. It's hardwired into us because we're created in the image of God. But there's a problem. The problem is that we have tainted it. We have poisoned it with our sin. So, when we stop and consider anger, we quickly realize that this includes all of us. The jury has convened and the verdict is in. We are all guilty. Everyone gets angry. In a world with disappointments, imperfections, uh, miseries, and sin, anger is almost a given. We all, we all know what it's like to be wronged, to be treated unfairly, to, to be bullied or embarrassed. We know what it's like to experience broken promises or betrayal or, or deep pain, and it makes us angry. Our sense of justice is right, but our desire to execute punishment is often wrong. So I encourage you this morning, as you're confronted with God's Word on this topic, I encourage you to take it to heart personally. You're not a spectator here this morning. This is not an innocent bystander here this morning. The point of this sermon is not for you just to learn about anger. It's an opportunity to, opportunity to address your anger. In other words, as you listen to these Proverbs, don't apply it to your angry uncle or your spouse or your kids. This word is for you, my friend. God wants to get your attention. He wants to deal with your anger. And He's designed His Word through His Spirit to do surgery on the cancerous parts of your life. Though common, anger in all its forms is not inevitable. We are not victims. With that in mind, the goal this morning is for us to rightly understand anger, to personally admit anger, and to biblically respond to anger. To do so, we'll consider three truths about anger that help us gain clarity, conviction, and confidence so we can move towards greater patience and self-control. Of course, to do this, we're going to need a rich understanding of the gospel, and we're going to need God's help. So let me pray again for us, and we'll get more directly into it. Our Lord, we just come before you with this topic at hand, knowing full well that you, through your word, have a message for us, a message about how self-control triumphs over anger. And God, we just confess, all of us, that we need to hear that. We need your word to speak to our hearts, and we need your spirit to apply it to our lives. And God, I just confess as a weak vessel that, that, that I'm just unable to do your word justice. So I pray that you would enable um, this time to, to be fruitful and to accomplish your good purposes. And I pray that it would, uh, most of all, make much of Christ, uh, that he would be exalted in our hearing and responding and doing of your word, and that we would be more conformed to his image. We want to be like Christ. We want to glorify Christ, and we pray that this time spent together would work towards that end. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, you can turn in your Bibles to the book of Proverbs. Many of the verses will be on screen, but it's, it's nice just to see it in your own Bible 
Again, our goal is to gain a better, more personal understanding of anger so that we can move away from it and toward self-control. If you're a note-taker, I have three points, each with four sub-points. If you do the math, that's a lot of points, so we got ground to cover. Let's get right to it. The first truth about anger is this. We need to understand and own that your anger is foolish. Your anger is foolish. You need to hear this. Again, I'm not talking about your spouse's anger or your friend's anger or that celebrity's anger. Your anger is foolish. It's just not wise. As, as we've seen in the series, Proverbs is about wisdom. It's about skillfully applying God's Word to, with discipline and discernment. But anger opposes God's ways and it forfeits the blessings of wisdom. Here are some reasons why your anger is foolish and why my anger is foolish. Your anger is foolish because it's insanity. Your anger is foolish because it's insanity. I mean, let's just say it like it is. Anger is dumb. It, it just doesn't make sense. All sin is delusional, but anger, anger is just, it's especially maddening. And this maddening, this madness is in all of us. We all experience that irrational, senseless disconnect from reality. Or, or maybe we could say it this way. I mean, you know, you know the feeling, right? I mean, it could be something like, I mean, you're driving down the fast lane and someone, I mean, has the nerve to merge into the fast lane while you're coming. I mean, didn't they know that lane was created for you? Or, or the gall that someone would, would show up five minutes late to an event that you planned. And, and it, of course, it can be much more serious things than that, but the, I mean, the point is, this, this, the insanity of anger means we expect the world to conform to our expectations and desires. This is extreme foolishness, and it's how anger operates. Proverbs 14.7 says, A man of quick temper acts foolishly. This person is easily provoked. He's reactive, and, and his folly is just as quickly known to everyone around him. Now, that word for temper, it's a... It's a it's a common word for anger, which, which actually means flaring nostrils. You can, see that, you can see the imagery here. The fools are quick to flare their nostrils like a raging bull. This is explosive volcanic anger. And, and you guys know the extreme examples here, right? Somebody gets angry and, and they just poof, punch a wall, but unfortunately there was a stud there and they broke their hand. That's, that's what foolishness does. Or maybe you, you get angry and you just want to grab something and throw it or, uh, you know, these kinds of, of things. We yell or we swear or we, maybe the two-year-old throws a temper tamper in the, tantrum in the middle of the grocery store. Uh, this is what the foolishness of anger does. And, and no one watching, when someone gets it's anger and rages and throws things and yells, no one watching is thinking, you know, I bet that guy was mistreated. Hey, poor, poor guy. I just didn't, that was totally unfair, I'm sure. No, every, everyone is thinking, I mean, what a fool. I mean, the anger just puts a spotlight on sin. Thus, the quick-tempered man often loses the respect of those around him. They slip into temporary madness. You see, anger betrays us. It doesn't give us what we want. It makes us look foolish. And it's foolish because it's insanity. It's not true to reality. Or at least it's unwilling to admit reality. Well, your anger is also foolish because it's self-focused. 
Your anger is also foolish because it's self-focused. When we get angry, and what I'm talking about here, you know, impatient, irritable, frustrated, all the forms of anger, we lose sight of other people. The discussion topic or, topic or the provoking issue becomes big and all-important. We stop seeing other people. They become small and insignificant. Because your anger is focused on personal rights, a desire for control or payback. It's self-focused. The reason that happens is because anger wants something and it pitches a fit when it doesn't get it. People or traffic or change of plans or losing your keys, they get in the way of your plans. And as a result, instead of reevaluating the situation or being reasonable, self-focused anger spews out. Listen to Proverbs 18.2. A fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his opinion. I mean, we've all been there. You feel wrong or offended or misunderstood or, or hurt. And at the same time, you feel anger arising in you. At that moment, you, you, don't, you don't really care what the other person thinks or feels. Or This unchecked anger could result in foolishly blurting out just selfish talk. A fool, and we all act foolishly sometimes, would rather give his opinion or get angry than gain wisdom. This person doesn't want to listen or reason. He wants to win. One person said, fools have closed minds and open mouths. And that's what anger's like. While the other person is talking, you're building your, your defense and forming your argument. Instead of listening, instead of trying to understand, instead of thinking about how you can love this person, which just sets you up for more, more foolishness. Right? 18, Proverbs 18.13 says, if one gives an answer before he hears, it is folly and shame. Poor listening communicates a, a, dis, a disregard for the other person. It's unloving, unhelpful, hurtful, and selfish. It's, and it's what anger does. Another way your anger is, is foolish and selfish is by creating problems that, that constantly require others to help. Proverbs 19.19 19 says, A man of great wrath will pay the penalty. For if you deliver him, you will only have to do it again. Habitual anger causes just constant self-inflicted problems. And if you bail him out or remove the consequence, that will only be short-lived because he only gets angry again. He doesn't learn either because his anger got him some sort of immediate results that he was looking for or just because he lacks self-control. In other words, he's selfish. Unfortunately, I have, I've seen this too many times in marriage counseling. One of the spouses, uh, well, maybe both the spouses are making progress, but one of the spouses is prone to anger and just they lose the trust again and again. Interesting, the word for wrath in that verse conveys kind of this settled indignation. This is the smoldering anger, not the volcanic explosive anger. It's the under-the-surface wrath. It ruins marriages, it ruins friendships, it ruins work relationships, and it's just plain foolish and selfish. Which leads to another point. Your anger is foolish because it's savage. Now, I don't, I don't mean the slang, like, trendy version of savage. Your anger is foolish because it's, it, is anger, it, it is rude and cruel and hurtful. It's dis, a destructive assault. The goal of sinful anger is to destroy, to shame others, and to vindicate myself. And in the process, it's just destructive. Look at Proverbs 27, verses 3 and 4. A stone is heavy, and sand is weighty, 
but a fool's provocation is heavier than both. Wrath is cruel, anger is overwhelming, but who can stand before jealousy? A fool is provoked to anger and, and it's unbearable. It's heavy and cruel and over, it's an overwhelming burden. Notice that both words are, for anger are used here. We're talking about both the explosive anger and the under-the-surface smoldering anger. Both are this just heavy, destructive burden. That word for overwhelming actually means flood. Anger is a flood. And that, again, that's, that's picturing destruction. You remember the, the Calgary flood five or six years ago, right? There's just destruction. Flood comes in or the, maybe in the Gulf of Mexico where they had the, the seasonal hurricanes there. That the idea is that it ruins things. It destroys things. Hot rage or cool manipulation are never beneficial and always destructive. And they create strife. Uh, they create broken relationships. Proverbs 18, 19 says, A brother offended is more unyielding than a strong city, and, a, and quarreling is like the bars of a castle. And this is how anger works. Ar- angry arguing can create kind of these insurmountable barriers among friends and family. Right? You, just don't, you just don't want to talk to that person if, if, if you know they're prone to anger or they're easily set off. These walls of separation, they can be easily erected, but they are difficult to demolish. Unfortunately, in my own family, in my immediate family, I can think of just two examples of relationships that have been estranged for years because of anger and selfish ways of communicating. Before we finish this first point, I need to say this. So we've said your anger is foolish for a number of reasons, but it's also we need to hear this, God's patience is wise because it's Christ-like. God's patience is wise because it's Christ-like. In contrast to our insane, self-focused, savage anger, God is patient. He is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. In fact, get this, anger is not God's natural disposition. His anger must be provoked and it, and it's not easily provoked, right? We, sin and evil does provoke God's anger, but it's, it's not His bent. He desires to be merciful and gracious. So as godliness forms in us, we become more and more inclined to be gracious and merciful. That is godlike. Instead of creating our own reality, we can wisely conform to God's reality. We can accept plans that don't go our way. Instead of focusing on yourself and your desires, we can die to self and prefer others. And instead of destroying relationships, we can be peacemakers. We can transform our anger into Christ-like patience because Jesus lives in us. Jesus shatters our delusional thinking and renews our minds. He gives us eyes to see beyond our navel-gazing so we can look at others with compassion Jesus embodies God's compassion towards undeserving sinners. In Him we learn and are transformed. Thus, self-control triumphs over anger. But in order to do so, we must cultivate the qualities that produce self-control. We must be active in this desire to be disciplined for the purpose of godliness. In other words, it takes the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It takes wisdom to restrain anger. It takes wisdom to know when not to say anything, when to, have, to be able to rule your own spirit. 
The fear of the Lord and wisdom rescue you from the snares of sin and death. Consider a couple of Proverbs. Proverbs 14.29 says, Whoever is slow to anger has great understanding, but he who has a hasty temper exalts folly. In other words, it's, it's better to have slow nostrils that don't flare than to have a short fuse that quickly ignites. That's wise. Slowness to anger is the evidence of wisdom. It's the evidence of that you've spent time with the Lord, that you fear the Lord, and that your heart is being transformed and renewed by Him. But hasty temper gives full expression to your folly. Or Proverbs 19.11, good sense makes one slow to anger, and it is, it is His glory to overlook an offense. Good sense, or wisdom we could say, contains an element of toughness and self-discipline that isn't hypersensitive, that isn't too quick to make things personal. It lengthens anger and it it makes it so we have long-suffering so that we can overlook an offense. To overlook an offense is honorable because it it prevents strife, right? We We don't have to go down that road. Wisdom would say, I'll keep the main thing the main thing in certain situations. Note, this verse is not calling for us to overlook sin, but, but to not be easily provoked, to not be too quickly offended. Consider again God's long-suffering with our rebellion. Right? God had, had every right and could have been His prerogative, I mean, just to immediately and instantly judge us and condemn us for our sin. But in His forbearance, in His long-suffering, He, I guess, tolerated, in a sense, our willful and daily sin. Of course, he, he made it right through His grace and mercy, but He wasn't easily provoked. He was slow to anger. So your anger is foolish, but there is hope in God's wisdom. Next, we need to drive this a little bit deeper. Your anger is serious. Your anger is serious. The seriousness of anger is probably... I guess already implied, but we need to draw this just a, a little out just a little bit more. Your anger is serious because it's deceptive. You know, we have a problem and often we don't see the problem. That makes it a serious problem. Anger, like all sin, believes a lie. It doubts God's promises and his wise ways. As we already saw, anger is self-focused insanity, which is fueled by deception. We get angry when our heart is led astray with false worship. To make it worse, we tend to see anger in others more than we see it in ourselves. We convince ourselves that we're right and our perspective is law. The more deeply persuaded we are of our rightness, the greater the temptation to anger when we're challenged or wronged. Thus, when anger arises within us, we're ready to defend, justify, or explain or we're ready to rage, all because our expectation desires went unmet. Consider Proverbs 22, 24, and 25. Make no friendship with a man given to anger, nor go with a wrathful man, lest you learn his ways and entangle yourself in a snare. That phrase, a man given to anger, literally means a man who possesses anger, who, who owns it, right? This is his possession. He's made anger his close friend. It's part of him. And sin with its infectious character can be contagious. Anger is easily learned, right? If you spend time with an angry person, it's easily learned because 
it fits right in line with our natural tendencies. Also notice that the danger of, of anger just by getting ensnared, right? Anger can become a trap. You think you're in control or that you can passively manipulate or aggressively assert your will and, and get what you want. But what actually happens is you deceive yourselves. You destroy your relationships and you just pile sin upon sin. You're caught in a snare of your own making. Thus, sinful anger leads to more sin. Right? Proverbs 29, 22, A man of wrath stirs up strife, and one given to anger causes much transgression. Right? It's not just the sin of anger, it's the sins that come with the sin of anger. This warns us against losing control and adding injury to insult. Anger is serious because it's rarely alone. John Piper said, Anger devours almost all other good emotions. It deadens the soul. It numbs the heart to joy and gratitude and hope and tenderness and compassion and kindness. Ultimately, anger deceives you into opposing God's kingdom and living for your own kingdom, which is another reason why it's so serious. Your anger is serious because it's devilish. Let, let me ask you this. Who is, I mean, don't, don't say it out loud, but who is the angriest person you know? The angriest, I can think of two people that are really angry. These people are definitely the angriest people I know. And in fact, you, you know these people too. God and Satan are the angriest two people I know. God and Satan are the angriest people in the universe. Satan has a great wrath against all that is holy and right. His anger is driven by malice and hate and destruction. He embodies anger that is ugly, wrong, inappropriate, and evil. God's anger, however, is pure, unadulterated, and perfect. He embodies anger that is good, appropriate, and beautiful, and just. Now listen, all people are prone to anger because all people are created in God's image. But when your anger is sinful, it's more devilish than godlike. You see, anger is a sign of your kingdom allegiance. Sinful anger shows temporary alignment with the devil himself because it produces death. And Satan has been a murderer from the beginning. Proverbs 14, 12 says, There is a way that seems right in a man, right to a man, but its end is the way to death. Sounds a lot like that time when Adam and Eve trusted Satan. It also describes anger when we see things right in our own eyes. Sinful anger usurps God's rule, lays claim to the throne, and does harm. God and Satan are both angry all the time. On whose side is your anger? That's the question. Sinful anger is against God. It opposes His kingdom and, again, temporarily aligns with Satan's. Maybe as a test, if you, if you want to just a little, a little test here, look at your worst relationship. Look at the relationship that you're most prone to anger, and you'll see your relationship with Jesus. To the degree that, that you hate or are angry with one person is the same degree that you hate God or, or that you are angry with God. God said that our relationship with Him is seen or evident through our relationships with other people. The sobering reality is that sinful anger is devilish. But we're still responsible, right? We can't pull the, you know, the devil made me do it card. No, we're still responsible because actually it's a heart problem. 
Hence, your anger is serious because it's deep-rooted. Your anger is serious because it's, it's deep-rooted. Anger is provoked by misplaced desires and unbelief. Thus, anger actually, it actually reveals your idols of the heart. If you listen to anger, if, if you observe it closely, anger will tell you something. It will tell you things like, I want, or I'm afraid, or I feel guilty, or I'm ashamed. For example, you gently correct someone's mistake, and he gets defensive and angry because he fears man or he feels, fears failure. Your kids misbehave, and you get angry because you're, you are afraid they'll embarrass you. You're impatient with someone who is late because you have a lust for control. You make a snappy comment to your spouse because you feel disrespected or unappreciated. You get angry when your wife uses your computer because you feel guilty about what she might find. You're irritated when you find an empty cereal box because you wanted to eat it. I just, that's a personal one. The point is, anger relates to desire. It's deeply rooted in your functional idols. It acts as kind of this window into your soul. It exposes your deepest desires and your most cherished expectations. Proverbs 27, 19, as in water face reflects face, so the heart of man reflects the man. The heart of man can be seen in part by how you handle anger. According to the Proverbs, the source of anger can be pride, evil motive, greed, jealousy, and a whole host of other, other sins. That's why we need to heed Proverbs 4.23. Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. Dealing with anger is a matter of dealing with this deep-rooted heart desires. As Charles Bridges said, Moral strength may, in some, curb the outward expression of anger, but the poison still lurks within. We must go deep. We must get to the heart desires. And thankfully, God's solution is Christ because He is the desire changer. God's solution is Christ because He is the desire changer. He's not left us helpless. The cure for all forms of anger, impatience, irritability, all these things is communion with Christ. We read in Proverbs 3.15 that wisdom is more precious than jewels, and nothing you desire can compare with her. So how much more is Christ to be desired? He is wisdom. Nothing compares to Jesus. When you spend time with Jesus, when you commune with Christ, when He satisfies your soul, you don't need to get angry. The unmet expectations and desires, they just melt away. They're not that significant. If your greatest desire is Christ, you can have Him. And when that desire is fulfilled, anger is just not necessary. When we trust God to be the just and sovereign judge, we're free to surrender our anger. And when we trust God to meet our needs and satisfy our soul, we can stop defending ourselves. We can replace fear with faith. And we can abandon our idols and we can accept unmet expectations. Listen, God is for you. He gave His Son to bear His full fears wrath against sin so that he could draw near to you. He wants to be close to you. He removed the barrier of sin in order to adopt you and give you an eternal inheritance 
He gave you His Spirit as a way to constantly commune with you. It's His good pleasure to give you the kingdom. He's not holding anything back. Therefore, our anger can be quieted. Our heart can be content. So learn from Christ. Spend time with Jesus and learn from Christ. He is gentle and lowly. He knows it's a struggle to fight the daily battle. He knows that you have a heavy laden and you are full of burdens. He knows that you're weak and easily tempted. That's why he says, come to me. Offload your burdens. Find strength in my grace. Take heart as I sympathize with your weakness and fight your battles. When you get sinfully angry, Jesus comes running to your aid. It's his greatest joy to reassure you of his love and to renew your mind and to make sure you are confident in his grace. Sinful desires provoke your anger, but Jesus transforms those desires. And God renews your mind and corrects your vision so you can think and see more clearly. The question before us now then is, how? How do we put to death the sin of anger, impatience, irritability, and just verbal indulgence? How do we have self-control when the temper rises or you're provoked? We need a communion with Christ. We need to be cultivating that and have this heart renewed. Let me just try to say, add a few bit more on this last point. Your anger is redeemable. Your anger is redeemable. In other words, it's not inevitable. It can be exchanged. It can be transformed. First, replace your anger with self-control. Replace your anger with self-control. Self-control surrenders to the Spirit's control and is thus empowered to resist passions, restrain words, and respond to others with grace. I mean, in other words, self-control, it's, it's, not, it's not willpower. It, it's not just pulling yourself up and deciding, hey, I'm not going to be angry anymore. No, we need to surrender to the Spirit's control in our life so that He will bear the fruit of self-control in our life. It's, it's, we need to internalize the gospel so it will affect your character. We need to depend on Him as we discipline ourselves with grace. Many Proverbs exalt the virtue of self-control. For example, Proverbs 16.32, Whoever is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules his spirit than he who takes a city. This proverb is saying that patience is preferable to physical power. Conquering oneself is a greater virtue than conquering cities. Those given to anger are captive to their passions, but those who rule their spirit, they're the true conquerors. That means it's better to have soul control than to experience victories and success. Worldly success, I should say. But here's the thing. Yeah, it's better to have self-control than conquer a city. But here's the thing. Conquering a city is easy compared to self-control. Right? Conquer a city in a day, maybe a week. But self-control is an ongoing battle. I mean, this is every day. Right? There are temptations all the time. Thus, this is an ongoing fight that requires perseverance. We may win the battle in one conversation, but the war is not over. Though we slay the sin of anger by the Spirit one day, it rages the next. So we must continually wear the armor of God and fight the good fight. And yet, every day is 
a triumph because the victory is already secured. Death and sin have been conquered. Anger and impatience have no sway in the believer. Clothed with the full armor of God, sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, at ease in the blood-bought victory of the cross, we are more than conquerors. We're not slaves to the sin of anger. We're free in Christ. Therefore, we fight with confidence. We rule our spirit with the strength that He provides. Another significant proverb on this is 2528. Maybe familiar to you. A man without self-control is like a city broken into and left without walls. In other words, if you don't have self-control, in this case we'll say emotional self-control over your temptation towards anger, if you don't have that, then you're vulnerable and defenseless. Without self-control, there's little or no resistance to temptation, and you quickly and easily yield to anger at the first assault of an annoyance. With self-control, however, there's resistance. Like the walls of a city that provide protection and slow down the enemy, self-control gives you opportunity to mount an attack and defeat internal temptation. There's time to carefully consider your words and to allow the Spirit to soften your heart. Right? Maybe there was something that was a little bit jarring at first, and your right, impatience or irritability just rises up at first, but self-control says, oh, wait, wait, wait a minute, let me think wisely about this. Let's not be rash in my words or in my response. There's time to think and to overlook and to cover. Uh, don't get me wrong, though. Even that, even that rising of anger internally is sinful. Even if you don't say anything, even if you don't have those laser beams, just the feeling of anger in your heart, that itself is sinful, right? Jesus said if you, if you look at a man with hate in your heart, it's murder. If you have anger in your heart, it's sinful. But if you lack self-control, there is a greater concern because you're not walking in the Spirit. So, you and I must constantly inspect the walls that guard our hearts and repair the breaches. We can never fully trust the most fortified walls, though, because... We can't rely on our own efforts to sustain us. Genuine safety is gained by trusting the Lord and dwelling in His strong tower. We must always be watchful in prayer, knowing this tendency, this propensity towards impatience, irritability, and all the forms of anger. So, we need to replace all these forms of anger that that can creep up in our hearts with self-control. And this is done by prayer by repentance, by walking in the Spirit, by disciplining yourself for the purpose of of godliness. But we need to switch gears here for a moment. We need to switch gears and go in this direction. We need to consider how to respond to anger with wisdom. We've talked a lot about our anger and what we do when we become angry, how it's foolish and selfish, etc. But what do we do when the other person is angry? How do we respond? How do we how do we approach that with wisdom? Well, we won't go too in-depth here, but there are several verses in chapter 3 that offer help. Excuse me, chapter 15 that offer help. Proverbs 15.1 may be familiar to you. It says, a soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Verse is fairly, fairly straightforward, right? Harsh, hurtful words stoke the fire of anger, while soft, sweet speech quiets anger. 
More than merely gentle, soft words, however, that, that, that idea there of soft words is peacemaking. It, it's answering in a way that restores the relationship. Answering in a way that's according to wisdom and reasonableness. A soft answer is a wise, persuasive word that is well-timed and edified, edifying. Too often our natural tendency is to stir up rather than to turn away anger, right? Someone says something a little bit off and, and we want to correct it or we want to make sure we get the final word in or, or one self-pleasing bit of sarcasm or a subtle jab or, or we want to defend ourselves or make some sort of excuse. But soft, healing words of wisdom really gain a double victory. Victory over ourselves and self-control and oftentimes victory over our brother and sister who's struggling at the moment. The lesson here is exercise self-control and choose not to say what you're feeling all the time. Choose not to let your anger spew out. Don't respond in kind. Instead, respond wisely. A few verses later in verse 4, it says, A gentle tongue is a tree of life, but perverseness in it breaks the spirit. When you speak with gentleness and when you refuse to utter senseless, Selfish words, you give life and you, you encourage togetherness. Even if it means you have to let something go. You, you don't get the opportunity to justify your actions or whatever the case might be. But when your words are perverse, then discouragement and strife persist. Again, the lesson here is the importance of pure, gentle, life-giving words. And brother and sister, I get it. It can be hard, especially in the emotional, high, more stressful, intense moments but it is worth it. Now add Proverbs 15, 18. A hot-tempered man stirs up strife, but he who is slow to anger quiets contention. We've already seen that anger produces strife, and now we see that slowness to anger reduces strife. Right? You want less anger in your home? You want less arguments? Well, then have this slowness, this gentleness. Anger fuels the fight while patience quiets a quarrel. That's pretty obvious, right? We get that. But remember, that doesn't have to mean, the anger here doesn't have to mean yelling or just outward frustration. A, a smoldering kind of indignation or quiet resolve can also lead to combative debate mode discussion. Right? So he's saying a hot-tempered, an angry man, even if it's just this kind of this internal anger, even if it's just this annoyance, that stirs up strife. Slow to anger doesn't mean slow to yell. It means slow to sinfully respond to unmet expectations and desires. If you want to quiet strife, you have to die to self and prefer others. A desire for certain expectations energizes an argument but a willingness to surrender expectations and to genuinely see the other person extinguishes the fire underneath the disagreement. You have to see the other person. You have to genuinely want to love. One more verse on this. 15.28 The heart of the righteous ponders how to answer, but the mouth of the wicked pours out evil things. And that's a lot like anger. Anger just spews out distressing and often deplorable words. The wicked, and we've all acted wicked at times, blurt out vicious and hurtful words. It can be a sort of verbal vomiting if, if we don't have any self-control. 
Anger can ramp up. And once you're out of control, foolishness gushes out unchecked. The wise person is cautious and deliberate with their response. When you're angry, often less is more. Less words sometimes means less sin. The lesson here, every disagreement has forks in the road. Every kind of conversation that's not quite, that's just a little bit off, there are forks in the road. What I mean by that is you'll be coming in the conversation, there'll be a fork in the road where you're like, okay, I can die or I can have pride. Here's the fork in the road. Like I, wanna, I want to make sure this person knows that I, that I know what I know. Or I could just let it go. I could just die. And then you say, okay, I'll die. And then you keep going down the road in the conversation. Another fork comes up in the road. All right, I could die here or I could let my pride come up. Die or pride, those are the options. And maybe you get like three, four forks down the road and you're like, I don't know how many forks I can take to the left here. Um, feel like this person doesn't understand what I'm saying. And the temptation is stronger. But the lesson is, die. Die to live. Die to live so that you can genuinely love. This is the example of Christ. The way to respond to anger is with wisdom and gentleness, which requires fearing the Lord and conforming to Christ. And this goal, when we have these goals in mind, then the goal is to reconcile with those involved. You know, we, we get it. Sin remains in our hearts, and anger and impatience and conflict and strife will occur, but we want to reconcile with those involved. Reconciliation describes relational restoration that occurs when forgiveness is sought and granted. And several, several Proverbs speak to this. I'll just mention three. First, Proverbs 17, 14 urges us to, it urges us to prevent quarrels that promote anger. It says, the beginning of strife is like letting out water. So quit before the quarrel breaks out. In other words, stop your conflict before it gets out of control. Before you say something you will regret. An aggravating disagreement can be like a leak in a dam. Uh, don't press it, right? right? Don't push it. You, you see the other person's emotions are getting high, your emotions are getting high. Just, just stop. Sometimes it's better to revisit a topic, especially during those higher emotional, stressful moments. When or if quarrel does break out, then we pursue reconciliation. When it's not prevented and when sin is exchanged, then we must reconcile. Proverbs 14.9 says, Fools mock at the guilt offering, but the upright enjoys acceptance. That's kind of an interesting verse. The idea here is that fools don't use the channel God created for peace and reconciliation. Right? They don't bring the offering. In this case, an offering is the idea of they don't come asking for forgiveness. They don't seek repentance. That's not the fool's way. While the upright, they confess their sin. They're willing to make the offering, as it were. By way of application, maybe your guilt offering is humbly coming and saying, I was wrong. Uh, my words were hurtful. Will you please forgive me? Or maybe the offering is humbling yourself and saying, you know, those, I do forgive you. And the reconciliation can occur. Which leads to Proverbs 10.12. Hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all offenses. Fools look for an argument, right? They, they love to get into the bait and 
man, we're going, let's go all 10 rounds. I think I got this one. Like my arguments are lock solid. And that's, that's the foolish way. The wise person is ready to forgive. Again, ready to, be, to take the die road. Love covers sin. Uh, to cover sin, uh, the word cover there is really, it's really just a word for forgive. Love forgives sin. Right? Cover doesn't mean overlook or, or just close an eye to it or pretend like it's not there. The idea of cover is to forgive sin. Love forgives sin. By forgiving sin, it, it, it overlooks it in the sense of I've forgiven and it's no longer an issue. It no longer affects the relationship. Our relationships ought to be marked by frequent confession of sin and equally frequent forgiveness. That demonstrates love. Well, to wrap up here, I just want to close with these, this final word of encouragement. Redeem your anger in Christ. Redeem your anger in Christ. What I mean is, hide yourself in Christ and become like Him. Proverbs 29.11 says, A fool gives full vent to his spirit, but a wise man quietly holds it back. You know, we sometimes disguise our anger with a plea for honesty, as though our feelings ought to be spoken. You know, I know I'm just being honest here. Um, I think, and then just plot out some bunch of anger. I'm just saying what I'm feeling. Uh, we need not to say what you're feeling sometimes. You need not to give full vent to your emotions and your anger. The fool freely says what, says what he feels. He spews out his emotions and passions, unfiltered and unrestrained. The wise person, however, sifts, sifts his words through a filter of grace and truth. You know, thinking, you know, is this going to edify? Does this love the other person? Is this caring? Is this gentle? Because the wise person cares more about honoring the Lord and loving the other person than about winning an argument, defending self, or justifying his emotions. It's wise to hold back your unpredictable emotions. The phrase hold, holds it back, is like the calming of a storm. It's only used three times in the Old Testament, once here and two other times in the Psalms, and there it means holding back a storm. And that's where Jesus comes in, right? Jesus calms your storm. When the storm rages, when the hurricane is swirling, when you've got a, a Category 4 coming off the shore there, Jesus calms the storm. Cry out to Him who calms it with a word. Turn your eyes and your emotions to the one who was reviled but did not revile in return. Look to him who will pacify your anger with his grace. He took God's anger upon himself so that you don't have to be angry. Jesus' fiercest anger was demonstrated at the cross. His fiercest and fullest display of righteous, pure anger was at the cross so that we could have our sins forgiven, and so anger would not rule or dominate us. In love and for your well-being, the anger your sins deserve fell upon Him. Thus, God's anger is for you, not against you, right? God is angry, right? He's the angriest person in the universe, but His anger is often, usually redemptive, certainly for believers. In love and for your well-being, God's anger disarms the power of your sin. God unleashed the Holy Spirit to defeat and destroy it. His anger serves an, serves an eviction notice to your sin and makes grace the new landlord. 
in love and for your well-being, God will soon deliver you fully and finally from the pain of this world, from the pain of anger, your anger and other people's anger towards you. Because God loves you, He loves His children, and because He is against evil, He will soon transfer you to a place without sin, without anger, without impatience. I mean, come, Lord Jesus. We can't wait for that day. In the meantime, your anger is foolish. Your anger is serious. But your anger is redeemable. Let's pray together. Father, indeed, you are so infinitely and abundantly merciful towards us. We are amazed at the lengths that you have gone so that we could be, can be, and are your children. We recognize that in your perfect and pure character, there is wrath and there is anger. And in this case, that wrath and anger is, is pitted against sin. It's destroying sin and death in our life so that we can have a relationship with you. God, may we learn from you. We confess that our anger is not pure. No, it's, it's, it's not. It, it is sinful. It aims to hurt and destroy. It aims to self-justify and to build our own kingdom. Now, we just confess that here this morning. And we acknowledge that it's rooted in deep desires in our heart, desires that we know full well that your grace can reach and transform. So we come just surrendering, God, do your work in our life. Make us more like Christ. Lord, we don't want even a hint, not, not even just a little impatience, not even just a little irritability or a little frustration. God, make us like Christ. And while we wait, we're so thankful for the forgiveness we have in Him. We're so thankful for Your mercy. We're so thankful that You draw near to us, that You sympathize with us, that You strengthen us. So we worship You here in Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to this sermon from Redemption Church, Calgary North. For more information about our church, visit redemptioncalgarynorth.com.